0: But I'm held bent and determined that I can bring along some people who don't look like me to be part of the solution.
1: Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, coach, author of the book, Great Work, and the creator of the Great Work Journals. Every week on this podcast, we're here asking the big questions. What is your great work? How do you find it? And why does it matter whether we do it? What does it actually take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? Stay tuned for answers to these questions and so much more. Gina's book, Leading Inclusion, was one of my favorite books of 2022. It is well-written, insightful, and very practically useful. And yet, despite reading and loving her book, when we recorded this interview, I was still very surprised at how tactical and hopeful she is about what's possible. In the United States, we have always lived with the history and the realities of racism. Whether we have lived with it as an active part of our life or have had the privilege to ignore it and deny it, It has shaped our understanding of our country and each other. As Gina says in this interview, racism has always been a loaded, hot-button, triggering topic to discuss, and it never gets any smaller. Nothing about it feels like it's ever truly resolved or soothed or healed. And this can cause leaders of any kind, whether we're talking about organizational leaders, political leaders, or even thought leaders, to just flatly avoid talking about it. And while that as a strategy has worked for the last 50 years, as issues around race have flared up and then went out and flared up and went out, it simply isn't working anymore. The experience of organizations post the summer of 2020 is that workers are saying enough is enough. We want organizations that are inclusive and equitable. And so the avoidance strategy that has worked to navigate this issue is emerging now as the real problem. Fortunately for all of us, Gina has taken the time to think deeply about how to open the door to these important conversations. Who is Gina Cox, you ask? Well, Dr. Gina Cox is an organizational psychologist, an executive coach, and the author of the book, Leading Inclusion. It is already an award-winning guidebook for corporate leaders who want to build inclusive organizations from the top down. Before this, Gina was at IBM and Perceptix, and Gina has advised leaders in Fortune 500 and other large global companies to build psychologically healthy and engaging organizational cultures that drive business outcomes. Let's welcome Gina to the podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Unleashing Your Great Work. Today, I have my good friend, Dr. Gina Cox, who is the CEO of Feels Human. She's an organizational psychologist, an executive coach, and the author of the amazing brand new book, Leading Inclusion. It's already award winning and it's for corporate leaders who want to build inclusive organizations from the top down. Before this, she was at IBM and Perceptix. Gina has advised leaders in Fortune 500 and other large global companies to build psychologically healthy and engaging organizational cultures that drive business outcomes. Welcome to the podcast, Gina.
0: Oh, it's so exciting to be here, Amanda.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, first of all, just want to say that your book is one of my favorite books that came out this year. I so needed and so important. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to write that because it's no easy feat to write Mm. a book, especially one so personally meaningful.
0: So oh, you. wow. Well, thank you. Cause you know, I, the book came out October 11th and it's still so early that whenever someone says that they've read my book, I get like, are they going to say something good? What are they going to <laughs> say? And then they say something good. And I go, oh, because I'm still, it's like a baby for sure. It's like um, all of my hopes and dreams and aspirations for how I want to change the world are bound up in this book. And mm-hmm. I am just delighted if whenever one person says they got it, you know, they understood yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, why don't we start with you giving us just a relative to the book, but also your larger journey. Tell us just a little bit about your great work.
0: Well, my great work is indeed great, just like everybody else's, because we all want good things to happen in the world. And what I really want is I want workplaces to be so great that it would be mm-hmm. easy for anybody to show up in, a, in any workplace and have a wonderful, positive experience where they can thrive, you know, as they're doing their jobs, they can feel like, um, they can feel comfort and I call it, or even ease as they're doing mm-hmm. it so that they aren't things that get in the way. So that's, that's why I aspire to have for the world. And I think about my daughter and my daughter's daughters that she doesn't yet have Mm -hmm. about the next generations and how we kind of all instinctively know that things could be better. And and Mm -hmm. we we know that in the broader community too, not just in the workplace. So um, I wrote a book that is really for business leaders who want to build inclusive organizations, but are maybe a little unsure about how to go about that or maybe a little disappointed that the things they've tried so far haven't generated, you know, significant outcomes, um, or haven't, you know, a lot, one of the things I've learned over the year, over the last couple of years is that sometimes leaders aren't focused on this issue because they're afraid of creating, stepping into a landmine. They don't, they Mm -hmm. would rather do maybe a little bit or nothing than run the risk of doing something that people think is not, um, good or whatever. So I want to make workplaces better. Yeah. And how do you address,
1: because I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's classic psychology, right? Like if you don't want to face it, then you ignore it and pretend it's not really a problem. It's a problem over there. But it's That's not fine. a problem here. Yeah. So how do you really address that? How do you help people to, to slow down and have the courage and believe in their skills enough to, to do this work?
0: Yeah. Well, I do, I, it does require some sort of an education process that isn't obvious because you know it's sort of a little sad to discover as you are working on something like this and you try to really get to what is the root cause and and there are two root causes of that one of course of of the of either the hesitation or the lack of effort part of it is just our overall society um, and how we think about these issues that they have, they have, they're like an elephant in a room every time. Mm -hmm. It never seems to get any smaller. It's also taboo and bound up with history and Mm -hmm. tradition and power and all these things that it's almost like, Oh my gosh, this is too big. I don't even want to touch it. It might be hot. So Mm -hmm. there's that. And of course there's just the other root cause issue that I have really landed upon is that it's the way we train our leaders Mm-hmm. You know, you can go get an MBA from the fanciest school and they're gonna teach you about operations research and finance and marketing and sales and in the human part, they'll call it soft skills. It'll mm-hmm. be a teeny weeny little optional thing. You don't even have to do it traditionally. Mm-hmm and so you come out and you're going to be running a big enterprise and you really haven't developed skills that are i would call human leadership skills. Yeah. You think you can run an enterprise cuz you're only focused on these levers and then mm. you have these humans that actually ideate, create, mm. you know, distribute, sell, I mean, deliver directly to your customers and clients and you don't really understand anything about that aspect of the business. It's not human centered. So I try to talk about these issues, first of all, by saying something that's true for me. I don't believe in diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And that's like, what? I don't <laughs> believe in it. I just do not believe there is such a thing. It's a sort of a contrived idea to okay. take an issue that we think of as an elephant, put it in a box and push it over to the side, hopefully to make it smaller. And we've done that for decades when we hire people and we call them diversity and inclusion specialists of different kinds and we say, go fix it and tell me when it's fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe in that I because the minute you handle it that way as something over to the side, first mm-hmm. of all, the people who are doing it have the sense, well, you know, we're not that important, you know, because they were not giving us the money, the political clout, the things we need to do it. You're just mm-hmm. saying kind of do it. And then if we fail, we, we quit or you fire us. And then we start all over from zero and it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. I don't. So I think that the stuff we're talking about when we talk about inclusion is really a leadership imperative. It's a subset of effective leadership. That's all it is. So if you're going to tell me you're an effective leader, and you're going to tell me, oh, I know a lot about finance, marketing, the sales. I'm going to say, well, do you know something about the human experience and about is an inclusion a subset? Is it within that? Have you studied these things? Have you thought about the impact that your ideas have and your vision and have you incorporated it into your business? If you say yes, I say you're on the right track. You don't have to be perfect. You'll make mistakes, but guess what? People will cheer you on. Even the very employees that are waiting to see what you're doing, they'll say, I can see things. I can see and feel some changes. They're doing something. And you'll get lots of points and you don't have to be perfect. But if you say, well, I don't think that belongs on my plate, or my advisor said, "You know, don't touch it, be very careful, You know, um, this is a no-win situation, do nothing or do very little before you get burned... Or if you say, well, well, I don't know the people who are meant to be the beneficiaries of this and I don't understand what they want. If you do those things, that sounds like avoidance. Mm -hmm. And um, so I talk about this and I say, you know, in the summer of 2020, I did a survey of about 500 workers, including 149 Black women. And I say, "What would you want leaders to know about this issue?" And they say, "Well, we already know that there's the standard operating procedure is to avoid or you know avoid us and avoid this issue. Mm-hmm. And so we that makes us feel disrespected because you don't care enough to be curious enough then connect to understand so that you can solve the problem so So I help leaders to see that the avoidance mm-hmm. is negatively perceived by the very people who with hope, hopefully whom they're trying to have a uh, on whom they're trying to have a positive uh, impact so i talk about those kinds of things and a variety of other things but amanda i mean the bottom line of your question is that what i don't do and what i want leaders to understand is something they should avoid is i don't tell them what to do because you run your enterprise but i can give you some guidance i don't know your enterprise the way you know it and I don't think one size fits all either. So I don't bring a solution from over here and say, here, do this magically, you know, da, da. da. Mm-hmm. I need to understand your organization, what you're trying to accomplish, and then I can give you some guidance. So that's a little bit about how I go about it in such a way that I can let it be clear that I just want to be a partner, a support mm-hmm. um, to help you deal with something that maybe you haven't dealt with before.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, obviously avoiding an issue like this one I mean, worked for 50 years and now it just doesn't work anymore. And I honestly think that that's the moment that people are waking up to where it's like, wait, this has always like flamed up and went out and flamed up and went out. And it is flamed up and it is just growing, right? So you can't actually avoid it. So that's not a good strategy. When somebody says, okay, I don't know how, but I want to somehow engage with this as afraid as I am of being canceled both in my company and online maybe um and as much as I feel super awkward bringing it up especially to a person of color like but I want to do it what are the skills what are the beliefs they have to take on or the skills that they need to develop in order to be in this space effectively
0: yeah so I hear that, that a lot and I totally understand it um I, I, I don't, well, I understand it academically or intellectually, because obviously I'm a Black woman, so right. I have that perspective, and I also am an immigrant, and I have that perspective.
1: Yes, that was but- one of my favorite parts about your book, was actually, oh. what an interesting experience to go from being like everyone, and fully respected, and, you know, like, absolutely none of this, and then yes. stand in this as an adult, basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, that's like, that's unheard of. Like there, I mean, I guess there's probably lots of immigrant black women who've had this yeah. experience, but for you to talk about it, it really was like a, an interesting opportunity for someone to
0: really see the difference as an adult. Yes. To perceive yeah. it clearly. Amanda, I think of it as almost like a natural experiment because, right. well, because that's how it's been for me, a pre and a post, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so um, it is easier than to see what doesn't What isn't the norm globally or in other places you have lived, see that contrast and then think about, well, what do I do about that? Uh, And so, you know, I um, I do think that, you know, that helps me then as well to think about what it feels like for people who've lived in this country and do want to make a positive impact, but aren't quite sure. I understand that it requires a learning process because I had to go through that. I understand that means that they would make mistakes because they would think this when it was really that. And then I also understand that at some point, once they have put in enough, you know, they've done enough things, it sort of becomes like second nature and habit. Eventually they will get past that stage and they will feel like they're just living their lives as they always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I say to people who, you know, that I coach or advise is I say, first of all, as a leader, yeah, you can't you can't hide because mm-hmm. actually people are waiting and watching to see what you're going to do and the more all you're doing is delaying the inevitable and in that time the problem is still there and people are still feeling bad about it. So there's that. So I think it requires a certain mindset that first of all says you believe this belongs on the leadership bench and then mm-hmm. it, it requires courage. Yeah. Because what I see as the hindrances apart from the ones I've talked about before is that often you could, have, you could have a C-suite, you could have you know senior level managers at a VP level or whatever, people on a board who are saying, we're not gonna do this, this is not our thing, let somebody else deal with it, it's not for us, we don't need to deal with it. But yet you personally might be thinking, well, I think I should, I'm CEO or whatever. Well, what do you do? You mm. probably have to have those difficult conversations with right. your direct reports and so on, and say what you believe and why, and you know what? There might actually be some people in your organization who shouldn't be in those roles where they have impact over a thousand people that they don't respect. Right, right. You know what I mean? So, th- yeah. so sometimes it calls for hard, for uh, difficult decisions and difficult, ac- difficult actions, but I mostly try to encourage leaders to believe me when I say to them that no one is expecting you to be perfect. And that when you make mistakes, people will just say you are on a journey. They're not Mm -hmm. going to. That's my belief.
1: Yeah, Um, I like that concept also, because I mean, I think that there's a fear, probably an outsized fear, unless you're living your life online, that you will be that you will have the worst moment of your life, that you will be canceled and you wouldn't have been if you hadn't said anything. Right. Right. That's, that seems to be, and that certainly does happen online. Like we watch it happen, oh, right? Yeah. Are sure. So, so like out of control online towards each other. But I feel like what you're saying about sort of awkward conversations or uncomfortable ones or ones that you have to say, I'm going to say this and probably sounds terrible, but it's the only words I have right now. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm noticing. Here's what I'm right. seeing. Help me understand. Yeah. That, that is such a different stance from the bravado thing that happens now where it's like if we just barrel forward it will resolve
0: itself somehow yes right and i tell people who look like me yeah that this is a two-way street okay so we all know the horrible history and we might even be having negative experiences today as i have had very you know But ultimately, I believe I have I believe that the way that humans solve problems is always together with an agreement that this is the challenge we're going after. We want to find solutions for it. And sometimes I see a lot of grandstanding on both sides of this conversation. Right. Mm. I am not. So I'm anti grandstanding. If I'm anti (laughs) anything, it's grandstanding. I am Mm. for let's be thoughtful and let's also give one another the grace to know we're going to all of us are going to make mistakes about this because there is no, no perfect answer that anybody has that i know of i do have a script i call it a starting script which by the way i'll mention for your listeners at the end again but um i do have a little starting script that i say that reminds people that okay let's agree that difficult conversations are part of this journey we're going to yeah. all find ourselves in them or we might need to initiate them. Well, what would you say? I think people just, sometimes I say, "If I let's talk about that. Let's work through that. And when I have these conversations with people and they figure out what well, I could say, this or that, at least they feel like they have a, a way forward. Yeah. And they know I think how that's great. Yeah. Any kind of shared
1: language where really what it does is if you say it, enough times people immediately understand like oh we're entering into a space where we all have to sit up pay attention not overassume not mm, you know right. attack give people the grace to say it and fix it or whatever i like that right. you're saying you okay. have some kind of thing that people can download from your website
0: yeah from slash script love it um we'll stick script. it out in the minutes for sure yeah but um it's just it's not even anything. It's just, in fact, I intentionally keep it simple because what I want people to recognize is that this is just language and connection and communication. So, for example, if I were having something happen to me that I, at this point in my life that I wanted to then say to somebody, you know, to let them know that I would wish that they would change something, I would say to that person, you know, Um, would you mind always one-on-one you know would you mind if we you know maybe had a few minutes that we could talk and whatever most people would say yes and then I would say you know you probably don't realize it Mm -hmm. but when you did x or when x happened here's the impact it had on me or here's the impact it had on my colleagues or on my family or whatever that it is right that you care Mm -hmm. about this causing you this angst and first of all I would never do it in the moment because I humans were not good in the moment on emotional issues we need a little distance, a little time. So by the time days of, you know, two days now we have the meeting, I would be able to say, you know, you probably don't realize it. Da, da, da. Most reasonable people in response to that would say, Oh my gosh, I had yeah. no idea. Mm-hmm. I did not intend to do that. Or they might even say, Oh, I, I need to think about that. Now some people will say, well, no, they'll get defensive and they'll say
1: overreacting,
0: right? Why are you overreacting? I never said that. I never meant that. I think you're blowing this out of proportion. They'll go down that path, either path. And there could be a third path and a fourth path, fourth path, but anticipating all the paths and then deciding what will you do in response to that, where you keep the upper hand, meaning the hand of civility, the hand Mm -hmm. of respect that you want to get back. And also the hand of solution focused, you know, a solution focused hand, you would say, Um, you know, you might say, um, uh, you know, the person might say, well, gosh, I didn't intend that at all. I say, well, I I didn't think you did, you know, Um, but now you're starting a conversation where likely what you can then say is a, you know, the person might even say, well, what do you think I could do differently?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Most people would say that, well, what do you think I could, if they're on that path, the ones that are more defensive and say, well, you're making a mountain out of a molehill and I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah then what you probably have to do in those situations is just give that person a little time because Mm -hmm. what you've been processing this for three days and stewing about it. They're Mm -hmm. hearing it in the moment for the first time. So you do probably want to give them that emotional time to think. So you might say to that person, I understand why you might not, you know, be seeing it my way or something, but would you mind if maybe we can talk about this next Tuesday at three o'clock or whenever you want to, Is, is that okay with you? Do you have some time we can talk about it next week? And what you're really doing is just giving them some time to think about what you said, because if you force them in a moment to give you a reaction, Mm -hmm. it's likely to be negative just because they're humans. Right. Because that's how, you know what I mean? That's what human. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So the script is very simple. It's that kind of thing, but it is intended to encourage people um, to think about what they would say and what they would do, because that is actually, I think what stops people from saying or doing anything. It's not, you just don't know how to start.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you said, well, it's just language. It's just connection and relationship. And Mm -hmm. I think that what you said there is like, it's just the best of humankind. Mm -hmm. Because what, what do we, what do we really as a species or as a people or as a society or whatever, however you want to describe that, what do we most need to get back to? We need to get back to connection where it's like, you're a human, I'm a human, I want you to be healthy and happy. You want me to be healthy and happy. How can we just have a relationship where there's respect and differences of opinion that we can talk about? And language, of course, is the way to do that. And then we're in relationship with each other as opposed Mm. to in a polarized sort of positional standoff. Yes. Yeah.
0: Which is why I have my, my, there's an acronym in my book, a model called REDI, R-E-D-I. And the R it's, it's respect, equity, diversity, and inclusion. But the R stands for respect. And I say, put respect first. Because even in your response just now, I bet you didn't notice it, but you used the word respect when you were describing yeah. that nirvana, right? Yeah. That's what all humans do that word so instead of using a word like belonging which is much more contrived and what does it really mean and how do I manage, I like the word respect because we all know what it is we know we're getting it we know what it feels like we know what's getting in the way we know what we want the person to do differently we can talk about this thing so I talk about respect more than anything else and I say yes because it, what respect means is I show up as a human and I automatically get it there's no looking down your nose, you know, Mm. making a weird face, whatever. There's just that human that shows up. Right. And you don't give them that on the basis of their rank or, you know, anything you're it's, you just give it to them because they're human. That's it.
1: Right. Yeah. That's so great. Um, It reminds me a lot of uh, a person that I respect greatly. Brian Stevenson, you probably have, you have to have read his book. Yes. Yes, Oh my God. That book changed my life. And the thing that I think about the most from that book is the argument that if you get proximate, like if you just get close, and I found that even when we're sitting in the same room with someone and we're on a team with them and we're trying to do something together, we may still not be proximate to their human experience. And that makes it almost impossible to treat them with respect.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Even if they're just like you, even if it's another like white woman, I'm a white woman and it's another white woman. Sure. We're not truly proximate and honest and like, I don't know, like respectful and ask questions and curious and that kind of stuff, we're still not proximate to each other's experience.
0: It's a point of view for sure. And some people do it naturally. And you can, you know, the, and in our society, they get extra points for being sort of outgoing and and the person who brings the team together and great for them. But most people aren't built that way. And mm-hmm. most people would rather avoid the, the risk of something going south than, as we mm-hmm. just said earlier, than to be the initiator. But, you know, I, I over because I'm an introvert, I, I I came out as an introvert many years ago to myself. <laughs> a yeah, coming out experience <laughs> yeah because and I say it that way on purpose because I realize that um people I realize how people experience me and I know that when people experience an introvert often they misinterpret the client for aloofness as an example right so I, when I when I figured that out and it was working against me then I figured out how to counter that well In life, then I could say, well, I'm an introvert. I'm just going to be an introvert. And if people just don't want to deal, they just have to deal with me as an introvert. I I could say that. I am a (laughs) man. And it is true. But here's the thing. I'm working in an enterprise, in a business. I need to influence people. I need to get things done with them, right? So do the math. What makes the most sense? So I just say, okay, I'm an introvert. You have to take me as I am. Or do I figure out how can I still be effective, still be an introvert, but find ways that are comfortable for me? Mm -hmm. to interact with other people more often so that they feel like I'm bringing them along or like I'm interested in them because I am, I just wasn't showing it. So I learned how to do it. It's similar in a way, because of course, race and and ethnicity and gender are are things that you can't change. And and clearly they're not trivial things, Mm -hmm. but the truth is that there are some things that all of us can do you know, to make it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I, you know, I say this to my daughter, I said, you know, um, and my daughter is lucky because she's had the opportunity in school and different places to be around a variety of people. Mm -hmm. But I think that separating ourselves from other people on any basis, including socioeconomic usually doesn't result in a good outcome. That's right. Yeah. It's very difficult to get past that again. Mm -hmm. So look for ways to connect. Um, I tell a story in the book about the guy down the street who had a a flag I didn't understand. And I had a, I had a, you know, I've come to learn by the way that the flag I had in my yard, which I still have, which is like a a peace sign and an LGBTQ plus Uh flag and a heart and everything. It says, you know, hate has no home here. And now I hear that people say people who put signs like that are signaling virtue. We are phony because we're trying to tell the world we're good. We're just good. People, so we have a good flag, and (laughs) I and I I I think that's the weirdest thing because if you attempt to put good vibes out, I would I thought you would get good vibes back, but it doesn't necessarily work. Um, but my point is that um, you know, we have to look for the connection. So finally, one day I kept looking at this flag and I said, Oh, I bet that guy and I have nothing in common. And then one day I finally went and asked him about his flag and we talked. And you know, the bottom line is we wave now when we see each other. It's not a big deal but i feel much better waving at him than not waving at him or having him yeah. wave at me right just right, a exactly. small connection
1: well and i think that the problem like the difference the opposite of getting proximate is just reading people's signals
0: yes right,
1: right. oh i see your i see your democrat sign in your yard and your we have a um during um whatever gay pride month we have like an american flag that's in like a rainbow of colors mm-hmm. or whatever so yes. yeah, we're signaling away over here too yes yes um and yet like if that's it if that's the only interaction and it isn't let's talk about it and you've got a different flag and you have got like a regular american flag and right. you know like whatever if we're not in relationship around our signals then it it is the opposite of being proximate
0: it is it is it really is and it and in fact it absolutely is. It's almost better to have no signal uh, because you still have, you, you have to find a way to get to the other side, <laughs> you know, right, you gotta find like a, to have a connection, yeah, to have it's the like connection. So, so I say curiosity connection Bri, are what generate comfort and ease. And I think we all want the comfort and ease. I think yes. we would all prefer to be able to just sit in the room, feel comfortable, do our jobs, make eye contact, crack a joke, yeah. do whatever, and just be like, that's yeah. what we would want. And I mean,
1: mean, not to, you know, not to be a capitalist about it, but if you have ease, then you have, you're going to make more money. Your team's going to work better. You're going to be able to meet your people. They're really expensive to rehire.
0: It's just better for (sighs) everyone, actually. It is. It is. But again, you know, who's going to save us from ourselves is going to be generation Z to some Mm -hmm. extent. I'm putting all my pressure and all my (laughs) hopes on, but for real, I do think younger people, it's strange because they didn't learn it from us. Well, maybe they didn't necessarily learn this from their parents. They learned this in some other way. The value of community, the importance of thinking about the future. You know, I think that, you know, unfortunately the climate change challenges are are so evident to to, to younger people who say, well, wait you're not doing anything what do right. you, are you living are you seeing the same things i'm seeing or are we living in a different world and yeah. then they say wait a minute these old these older people are irrational they're in denial and then they go well if they're irrational in denial we're the ones that are going to suffer for it let's so all of that i think is helping all of us everybody because mm. um I, the UN, you know, there, there was COP 27 that was held mm-hmm. this last week, right? Yeah. Everybody talked about this International Climate Change um, and Protection Conference. Fantastic. There was a very funny clip that I saw on CNN for like one day they had it up <laughs> where the where um, I think it was the UN Secretary General, um, and I might be wrong about the title of the person, but it was someone in that kind of a role. He had two speeches. He had the speech that was for the general audience, and he had a speech that was going to be for the young folk at a separate, like a sub event that they were going to have Mm -hmm. for just young people. Someone put the young people's speech in front of him. So he's standing in front of the big open room and he starts Mm -hmm. his speech and he says something like this. Thank you all. You've been holding our feet to the fire and you have been doing such a great job at advocating for He's like, wait a minute, that's not the right speech. <laughs> it's the absolute opposite of what yeah. I, of the right speech for this audience, because the people in front of me are not doing that. It was to me, the juxtaposition of that was bizarre mm-hmm. because those younger people are saying, you know, so they will be the ones that will say, okay this race thing and this, all of this stuff that you guys are so obsessed with in terms of separating people, it just doesn't make any sense. And we're not going to do it. That's my hope. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I live with that hope too. Yeah. yeah. But I also find one of the interesting, I also find that when even grown adults begin to actually talk to each other with an idea towards understanding the perspective, one of my favorite, um, experience of this was a guy who does, you know, the guy who does, um, humans of new york do you know him yes 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 he went to like right after trump was elected he went to michigan to talk to people in michigan about it and he's very humanizing mm-hmm. and you you realize that really and truly so much of what we want is exactly the same the for same. exactly the same reasons yes. and if we really genuinely just spoke to each other a lot of this yeah. stuff that's this constructed polarity would dissolve because that's it, right. it's just, it's not really true.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's right. History. And we know th- the reason Humans of New York is so powerful is because when we read those stories, in fact, recently there was one that I read about this guy, very bizarre story, one of the one it came out this month. And this guy said, um, th- the, that it was like a cold open. They just jumped right into the article. And this guy talked about, um, he was like a surrogate dad. Or whatever, whatever the right word is. Yes. Um, and so he was impregnating many women, and his goal was to have like sixty children. I mean, he said these words in the article. It was very early on, wow. and so everybody in the response was like, "Wait, what? 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 <laughs> what did he just say? There, there was no lead up. Did I miss something? Mm-hmm. And then the 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 um, editors came into the to the feed, and they said, "We need to remind you that at humans of New York in this in this work we talk about ideas and we introduce you to people, even when we, you don't agree with them, you still, the whole point is for you to at least hear them out and hear what they have to say and why they say, or what they sing. And you will, it doesn't mean you have to be like them, Mm -hmm. but the whole point of this is that we will have this automatic respect for this person and you know, whatever, but to your, you know, to your point um, it's, 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 we felt it, it, even though the people reading humans of New York most of whom would be people like me who are relatively liberal in our views in the first place. I could almost automatically feel myself going, what an idiot, what does he want to do that for? And then I saw people putting in the, I would never write that, but I saw people writing it. And then I was like, Gina, You say that you are not judging people. Why are you judging this guy? You don't know anything about him. You don't know why. Maybe he's got to, you know, you don't know. So it's, it's a human thing, but, but we all want the same thing in that when we read Humans of New York, the stories that get the big responses and make us light up and we tell our friends about them (laughs) are always about the little old lady who's 80 years old in a wheelchair and yet she still dresses up and put on makeup and a wig and drives around in her wheelchair and makes talks about her the good old whatever it's like you yeah cuz you could see yourself like you could yeah. wish You feel the humanity of it. You feel it. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, and what I love about your work, it's sort of a softening, right? Like it's what we're asking is for a softening. Can we soften towards each other? Can we understand? Can we put in a, a script in place so we can get into the conversation? Can we give people a little grace with some time if their reaction is immediately defensive? Like what are the processes that we can put into place so that we can begin to get back in relationship with each other, even about this.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, even in my, with my book, I know, and the cover and all the decisions that I made on purpose to make it clear to people that I, my goal was to open a dialogue, not to close it. I, I realized that not everybody agrees with that point of view, right? There are people who feel like you should go into this work with a very strident perspective. And in fact, I even hear some people using the word justice in conversations, and the word justice to me is a word. Well, the word itself is just over it, it. Not that there shouldn't be justice. It's a, it's a valid word, but in a, in a work and business context where y- what you're really trying to do is to, you have to get people to come together to do something. I think all it does is it puts up a wall. Yeah. So, so the, so I, so I do have a point of view and my point of view is that it is possible for us to come together. Um, And it doesn't mean that I don't still have bad experiences or that I don't, I'm not realistic about the fact that I have a lot of privilege by virtue of my education and my training and so many things about me that um, give me advantages that there are many other people who don't have those experiences and who knows what their lives are like. So I'm not, uh, I don't have rose colored glasses on about this. And when somebody tells me a horrible story, I lament and I empathize and I, you know, we talk about it, but I am always trying to figure out how can we get to the other side? Yeah. You know, trying to anyway.
1: Yeah, me too. I think that the, um, the thing I think about a lot is uh, the gay, lesbian, the LGBTQ alliance idea, Mm -hmm. right? So when I was growing up uh, in the 90s, it was very much a us and them kind of thing. The idea of being a gay ally was like new, right? But over time, over the course of maybe 15, 20 years, it became to be this joyous thing where if you were in, they called them friends of the family when I first started hearing about it. Like if you were a friend of the family and on board and you were allowed to you know, fly the flags and stand up for it, you were welcomed into that community even though it was people like me, heterosexual kind of straight mm-hmm. people who were causing the oppression. And I wonder if there's a way for us to, to get to where a white person with a lot of enthusiasm for race equality and race relations or like whatever the right words are now, to be kind of joyously in that because I find that the one of the things that people I talk to worry about is that we won't be allowed to we'll do it wrong we're not really on the team Mm -hmm. you're really you're an oppressor even if you don't think you are like so I wonder like that's what I hope for I feel like that's sort of like a base camp one can we can we come together can we be on the same team can we name a team that we can all be on that is a starting point that allows us to heal individually and collectively
0: right and I, I, well, certainly I believe that we can. And, and I also think, but I also think it requires intentionality because I do think that there are people in this country whose job every morning when they wake up is to say, how do I keep dividing people? I'm not 100% sure I know. Well, sometimes it's political gain and I see it very clearly that I'm not even talking about those people. Right. I'm just talking about people who either because they're so, they've been so badly hurt and have known no other experience than that, they cannot imagine that a person of another race could be an ally there. And there are some people who truly can't believe it because they don't, they've never had that positive experience. And I talk a lot in my book about history and about social segregation Because I don't think you can understand how we got here without understanding that. Mm -hmm. So there are people in this country who have been so segregated and have not been part of the, of the great, whatever American adventure, you know, they haven't, they've just been, there's all of that. But then there are people who feel like their job is to take those people, put them in a ball and use them. against another group and and so yes all of that is real and all i can say because i don't know the answer i know you're not asking me to speak you know i don't know the answer except what i do know is think of this as a one-to-one problem in other words when i walk into the grocery store when i walk into the drugstore when i go into the school i have to i have to i can't have my guard up all the time i have to be willing to look in somebody else's Mm -hmm. eyes i have to be willing to be receptive to that I don't think that's easy but I do think it's at the one-to-one level I don't think anybody so you have to your heart or whatever it is in your in your human body that enables you to do that you have to leave some space for that to happen you really do you really really do yeah. so some people think that I'm just people who look, some people who look like me think oh you're just you're full of it you know because you know you're well educated or you might have you know you're comfortable in relative in comparison to some other the people but I say that is not true. I I know exactly about these experiences because I live them, I have them to this day, but I'm hell-bent and determined that I can bring along some people who don't look like me to be part of the solution. I That is, because you know what? We're still only 13% of the population, Black people in America. Like it isn't even numerically possible any other way. It's irrational, right? So we've got to find a way.
1: Yeah. Well, and you are leading the way to the way, which is not, I wouldn't call it thankless work. I hope you've got lots and lots of thanks, but it, you know, it puts you out
0: there and. I'm lucky enough to have a lot of, now I, here's the thing. A lot of people who have bought my book and who have reached out to me specifically to say something about it that they liked or that resonated have not looked like me, but that is exactly right. Because mm-hmm. I wrote this book for people who don't look like me. Right. So I. I. Have to, my, my outreach is to people who don't look like me uh, because I absolutely know from my own personal experiences, it is that it's, it is possible for us to work together and get something done. So I, I am, I'm not backing away from that. I love
1: it. I love it. Well, I want to encourage anybody to get a copy of this book because it, I, I am, I have to admit to being in the process of reading it because I need to read and think and read and think. But that's a big compliment for me. I I think that not a lot of books are substantive yeah. and moving enough that okay. you want to sort of savor it. So, <laughs> so I encourage everybody to go get it and join me on that journey. <laughs> but I bet people are wondering, like, how can they get more of you? Surely they can buy the book. But are there other are other ways to get to know you?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you I'm primarily an advisor and a coach. And all that means is that I work one on one with individuals or groups of people who are want primarily leaders who want to be more impactful in some way And so I'm a general executive coach. But then specifically, if you're talking about within that, if you want to focus on inclusion, I also do coaching for that, working directly with individuals to help. I don't have to be in your company and the face of of, as a consultant. In fact, I prefer not to be. I want you to be able to do it. But I, I certainly coach my clients with best practices and also behavioral change for themselves and for people around them and so on. So they can be more impactful and really move the needle and get something done. So I'm available. You can go to my website. Uh, which is my name g-e-n-a cox.com and you can learn more about me and I've got a little script just a few um, ideas to get you started on those difficult conversations so it's g-e-n-a slash script Mm -hmm. if you want to go and take a little look at that um, just to get you thinking about well what would you do to handle the difficult conversations that are an inevitable part of this but that we can all master Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn uh, using my name
1: love it yes thank you so much and i i just want to really again tell you what an honor it's been to talk to you about this i so appreciate your time thank oh, you for uh, coming on the podcast
0: oh it has been a pleasure and just to spend a little more time with you just is, is a wonderful thing
1: <laughs> same thank you Gina. hey if you're enjoying this podcast you've got to check out the great work community the Great Work Community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together. Come on over for a co-working, accountability, coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out the Great Work Community. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening today to Unleashing Your Great Work. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And make sure you check out my book, Great Work, Do What Matters Most Without Sacrificing Everything Else. It's available everywhere you get books. See you next time on Unleashing Your Great Work.